It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Darren Lehman. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to The Unplayable Podcast. This is The Unplayable Podcast. On this week's episode... We recap the Gillette ODI series, preview the T20 International Tri-Series and have a look at the Big Bash semi-finals. Here to help us go through all of that for the final time this summer, can you believe it, is a pumped up Mike Hussey. G'day Huss. G'day Sam, how are you mate? It's, uh, yeah, it is a bit of a uh, emotional day I guess, the last one, but let's hope it's the start of something special that can last many years to come. <laughs> I like the sound of that. Huss, let's get straight into it <laughs> and we're going to start reviewing the five-match Gillette ODI series that England won. 4-1, they capped off a terrific campaign where they come from behind, 12-run win in Perth at the fabulous new Optus Stadium in front of more than 50,000 fans. Haas, what was your broad take on the series? Uh, you know, it, was a, it was a good series. England, they're a top-quality one-day team, um, to be honest. They, they look very dynamic at the top. Um, they've got Joe Root just marshalling the troops through the middle there um, and batted beautifully throughout the whole series, being man of the series. And They've got some certainly some power there at the bottom. Someone like a Josh Butler is, uh, is very dangerous. You've got to remember, you'd expect at some stage uh, uh, Ben Stokes to come back into that team as well. So they, they look pretty strong. And, and don't forget uh, Rashid too. Uh, he did a great job with the ball um, through the middle overs taking wickets. So England showed me that they're a very, very good one-day unit. Um, and they're quite settled. They've been together for a period of time now. About uh, 12 to 18 months, they haven't changed the team too much and uh, really let players settle into their positions, know their roles, build up some continuity, and um, they've played some pretty consistent one-day cricket. From an Australian perspective, I, I just got the feeling that there was a little bit of fatigue uh, hanging over some of the players. And I'm talking about David Warner, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, um, and Josh Hazelwood as well. I, I just think... They put so much time, effort, energy, anxiety, I guess, into that Ashes series that it can just take its toll on you by the end of the, uh, by the, end of the summer. I, I used to feel that as a player myself. Uh, you, know, you just taper your performances off towards the end of the year and, uh, or the start of the year, but the end of the season. But just through exhaustion, really. Um, and, and you could just tell, um, you know, Steve Smith and David Warner didn't really make a contribution with the bat throughout the, tournament, uh, throughout the series, which is very much unlike them. And then even just watching the body language of, of Stark and Hazelwood, when they got a wicket, it was, it, there was no real energy or excitement. It was just, yep, great, um, you know, fantastic. Uh, and, and I just got the feeling that they were just a little bit tired. So uh, disappointing, I, I guess, to, to lose the series 4-1. But I'm not panicking. I think we've got some fantastic players there for, for one-day cricket. Uh, I think it's time to stop the, the chopping and changing, the rotations, the... Um, you know, trying out of new guys. I think it's time now that we really bed down who we think is going to be at, at the World Cup for Australia, get the players into the positions, the right positions, and, and back them in and give them a good run in um, uh, into that World Cup. So the team has a bit of a chance to build up the trust, build up the, um, the communication, uh, the continuity in the team. That's really important. And 
but but I, I do firmly think we've got a good batch of players there that can certainly challenge at the World Cup. That was very comprehensive, Mike. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, uh, just talking about fatigue, do you also think that the transition, the short transition from playing that intense red ball ashes cricket to 50-over cricket, you know, about a week's time uh, to get ready? Do you reckon that had an impact on the way the likes of Smith and Warner and, and the Quicks performed? Yeah, possibly. Um, you could possibly say that. However, I, I don't... I don't know. I wouldn't buy into that as much. I did hear that a couple of the bowlers did say they just battled with the transition from the, the test matches into the, the one-day game. And so maybe possibly there's a, there's a little bit there. Um, but I, I don't know if too much changes, particularly for the majority of, of the inning. Like David Warner's not going to change the way he plays too much. And, and, and you saw him the previous year. His one-day cricket was sensational. He scored 500 in a year. Um and uh, was just breaking all the records. So, you know, he's he's a very experienced player and he can probably make the move between the different formats pretty comfortably. The way Steve Smith plays, the role that he plays in test cricket, you know, he's going to come in and play a similar role for the majority of a one-day inning. Yeah, sure, at the back end of an innings, you might have to be a bit more uh, innovative or or, uh, go for the power shots, I guess. Um, And even from a bowler's point of view, in, in your first probably couple of spells, you're generally not going to bowl too much different stuff than you would in a test match anyway. You're going to really just try and hit a good line and length and try and pick up wickets in the traditional manner. Um, it's more just at the back end, you know, that that's when, you know, the, the wide Yorkers and the slower balls probably come into it a little bit more. Uh, and, and we probably saw that a little bit in uh, where there was a little bit of movement in the pit, but not to try much at all. It was about almost test match bowling, just, just bowling line and length and letting the pitch do the work for them. With Smith and Warner not performing, does it just show how much Australia rely on those two players to score big totals, even though we had a couple of players, Aaron Finch scored centuries, Travis Head and Mitch, uh, Marcus Stoinis posted big scores without getting three figures, but with Smith and Warner, the nucleus of that batting team, if they're not firing, does it sort of expose Australia? Um, well, yeah, you, you, your best two players in your team, if they're not performing, then, then any team in the world is going to struggle. You, you, you say that about any, any team around the world, they're, they're going to have the same problem. So yes, um, we do need Warner and Smith um, contributing on a consistent basis. And, and that's the thing, they've been spoiled in the past because they generally do. Um, so it was a, yeah, I guess it's a bit of a shock when they don't. Um, but having said that, there were some real positives to come out of the series with other guys stepping up at various stages. You know, I thought Mitch Marsh batted really well. I thought Stoinis played some excellent innings, particularly the last one where he's promoted up to number three in scoring 87 in Perth. Um, You mentioned Aaron Finch, 200s in a row, and I think that was important for him because there was a few people starting to question his place in the team, and we we saw his class, you know, come to the fore as well. So, uh, yeah, there was some good performance. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention Travis Head, 96 in Adelaide. That was a fantastic innings as well. So... Some real positives to come out of it uh, as well from a batting point of view for Australia. Um, but, yeah, you're right. We, we do need Smith and, and Warner contributing. And, yeah, when they are, then we can win most games. What did you think of Stoinis' promotion to first drop? And can you see that being a, a long-term move? Well, if I'm being honest, initially I was a bit sceptical about it because I just think he's so valuable at the back end of an innings. He's so powerful that once he gives himself a bit of a chance to get in, he can clear the boundary even with the field back, and he can be so dominant against bowlers at the death. But having watched his batting uh, in Perth, um, batting at number three was really impressive. His defence looked really solid. 
Um, he's still got the power and, and all the shots as well. So, um, what? yeah, I thought it was actually a really good move and, and something positive to come out of that game looking forward. I think he could be someone that could bat number three for Australia and, and play. He can play dual roles. If the pitch is doing a bit and he has to work his way through it a little bit and not be so aggressive, then you know he's got the technique to be able to handle that. But also, if it's a really flat pitch and or Australia's chasing a big score, he can come out and be really aggressive right from the start. And um, and, and we've seen, seen him do that sort of in Perth. So I, I think it's actually a, a, a really good move, um, thinking, sitting back and thinking about it in hindsight. Now, he waited a while to get his first ODL wicket, but when he got one, he got plenty. Mike, that's Andrew Ty. He finished the series as Australia's leading wicket-taker with eight wickets at 21, including that 5 of 46 in Perth. Uh, and then about half an hour later, he got the good news that he'd just been bought for $1.4 bucks in the IPL <laughs> auction. I mean, what a, day for, what a day for Andrew Ty, Mike. Oh, what a day. What a day indeed. Unbelievable. Um yeah, well, he bowled really well. It's got to be said, and and I think Steve Smith just has to use him at the right time. If 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 he's just bowling through those middle overs where batsmen can just milk him for you know four or five and over, he's probably not as effective. But if he's bowling, let's say in the batting power play when batsmen are looking to be really aggressive, then that's when he can come into his own because he takes wickets. He's so skillful with all the different variations he has, and then also bowling him at the death um, again. So skillful, so many different variations. It picks up wickets, which is just so important. So uh, I think Steve Smith used him really well. He used him at the right time uh, in Perth. Enabled him to pick up the first wicket ever at the uh, at the Optus Stadium, which was, yeah. uh, you could see for a West Australian was a, was a big moment. And then, yeah, going to get five wickets was a, a fantastic performance and, and thoroughly deserved it too. He bowled really, really well. Glenn Maxwell made his return. Mike, what did you make of his match? Initially, I was, I was thinking to myself... This is the most responsible innings I've ever seen Glenn Maxwell play in ODI cricket. And and I've got to say, I absolutely loved it. Uh, He came out, he looked positive, but not reckless. He was just working the ball into the gaps, playing good cricket shots, running really well between the wickets. And I thought, wow, this is going to be the perfect one-day innings. But he needs to go on and, and take Australia home. And unfortunately, it was just a little period there where he just seemed to I don't know whether he lost his concentration or the mind started wandering a little bit. Um, but then he, um, he unfortunately got out um, at just the wrong time. The ball was starting to reverse. He went for the big one. Um, and then it exposes the lower order um, to, to the English bowlers while they've got that ball reverse swing. Very, very difficult for new men coming in. So I, I was really impressed with most of his game. The fielding was sensational, as always. Helped out with a few handy overs with the ball. And, and I'm glad Steve Smith used him with the ball because I think he's a good bowler. But the only thing I was disappointed about was your role as a middle-order player is to get your team home. And he batted beautifully for the first part of his innings and then got out and threw it away at just the wrong time. And, uh, and that's what I was most disappointed about. And I know that internally, that's what the selectors have been most disappointed about with him as well. So um, if... We know he's good enough and we know he's got all the skill and the talent, but we just need him to, on a consistent basis, bring Australia home to victory. Right now, we're about 17 months, 16, 17 months away from the 2019 World Cup. Mike, this 11 that played in Perth, probably chuck Aaron Finch back in there, uh, maybe Josh Hazelwood, oh, sorry, maybe Pat Cummins in that lineup as well. But how far away do you think Australia are from, from getting that first 11 for the first match in the World Cup? I think we're pretty close. Uh, yeah, I, I really do. Um, 
Um, but it is about now just keeping those guys together because you can't underestimate a team that has played together. So let's say, for example, they can just play every one day now for the next 17 or 18 months together. So you can't underestimate the, the how important that is in building the trust between each of the players, understanding each other with the running between the wickets. You know, we've seen Tim Payne with a few mix-ups between the between the, pig, uh, the pegs as well. So that they need to understand and build up that continuity with each other. So that's really important. Feel comfortable in the roles that they're playing. Um, understand um, what their own role is and, and play accordingly. So, so that's going to be really important moving forward. I, I think um, the, I think Adam Zampa's been doing well, um, but they're just is there just some pressure on him just to keep his place in that team as the attacking spinner? That that's the one spot we need to just to keep making sure we if, if it's Adam Zampa's the man, let's back him in and let's uh, really give him uh, a show a lot of faith in him and, and trust in him and we'll get the best out of him. If they don't think he's the right man, then then have a look around. But I think it needs to be an attacking spinner, someone who's taking wickets consistently. And we'll finish off on the victors, England, 4-1. Um, a very different side, not in terms of not just only in terms of personnel, but in terms of attitude from the test side that, that lost 4-0 in the Ashes. Mike, they're going to be, a, if they're not the favourites for the World Cup on home soil, they've got to be in the top two, don't they? Yeah, they do. They're a very, very good one-day team. They cover all the bases pretty well. Um, they're very dynamic. I think they're well-led. I know Trevor Bayliss is obviously a very good coach, but Owen Morgan as well. Um, he probably needs a few more runs consistently, but certainly tactically and as a calm leader under pressure, um, he's been very good for England in that respect. And Yeah, England should be one of the favourites, but there's an extra pressure about playing a World Cup at home. You know, you've got your home crowds, the expectations a lot higher, there's all that media um, sort of pressure on you as well. And, and so a lot of it could be how well they handle those external distractions going on. But certainly they've got the skill to, to go very, very deep in the tournament. Moving on to the Gillette T20 International Series. It starts on February 3 at the SCG where Australia hosts New Zealand. Huss, what are you most looking forward to in this series? I think it's going to be a really good series. You know, we've got three really good teams here. Um, New Zealand in T20 cricket uh, are a dangerous team. You know, England as well. They've shown in this in the One Day series how good they are. I, I tell you, what I'm most excited about is what batting order Australia is going to go with. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the the makeup of the team is going to look like, but they've got some of the most dynamic and dangerous hitters in the world, and if two or three of those guys get going, um, it's going to be incredible to watch. And I would not want to be a New Zealand or an English bowler if, if a couple of those guys get going. So uh, that's what I'm most excited about, is watching Australia's batting order. And I hope that they all just come out swinging. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they could destroy any run records ever made in T20 cricket. Oh, yeah. I mean, they play at Eden Park, Mike, with the shortest straight boundaries <laughs> in world cricket. Marcus Stoinis got 140 odd there, 146 I think it was in, in a one day there and he just kept hitting these flat bullets down the ground for six I mean if there's ever <laughs> going to be 300 scored in a T20 it's going to be that game Oh yeah, that is one to watch for sure, but yeah you throw in the likes of Warner, Finch, Lynn Maxwell, Darcy Short and then you've got Stormus as well it's it's absolutely incredible so much power there and yeah, I, I, as I said I hope they all just come out there and just start going for it pretty much 4-1 and uh and, and seeing how far that can take them. Because, uh, but yeah, as I said, I, I think the sky is the limit for that batting order. 
Now, Hass, I've got a bit of trivia for you. Uh, of the 302 international matches that you played, how many do you reckon involved Ricky Ponting? I'd say probably most of them. Um, I do remember being captained by Adam Gilchrist in a few one-dayers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ooh, I've only played a couple of tests without Ricky, I reckon. So how many games did I play? 300 and what? 302. 302. Let's go for 280. Oh. 232 is the correct answer. 232? Yep. Gee whiz. So so, I didn't, well, I, Ricky must have been injured or something, was he? Or well, no, I don't think they're don't dropping know. him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly right. Well, no, that surprised me. I thought I might have played more because I felt like I played most of my career uh, with him. Well, as you know, he's going to be an assistant coach with the Australian T20 team and having played 232 international matches with him, Mike, what kind of impact do you think he's going to have on the players? He, he's got great work ethic. Uh, he impresses on the players the importance of excellence at training. So the standards will be very, very high. He articulates himself very well, um, and he's got a great cricket brain. So I think with all of those ingredients, um, makes him a, a fantastic choice as a, as a coach for, in the Australian team. Um, plus, he's got this aura about him, and when he speaks, you, you listen, and you can't help but learn learn things off. I think it'll be inspirational for a lot of the guys to, to have uh, Ricky there. Um, and, uh, yeah, he'll definitely have a positive influence on the group. And you came into um, well, test cricket at the age of 30 and one-day cricket a little bit before that. Uh, what did, did, you know, your, and your game was pretty complete when you got to that level, but did you learn things off him when he, when he gave you tips and pointers? Did, they, did you take them on board and did you pick up things from him? I, I watched him a lot, <laughs> for sure. I, uh, I watched how he trained. Um, I obviously listened very closely in team meetings. Um, quite often we'd be sitting in team meetings and we're throwing around different ideas and uh, we'd be going off on these tangents and then Ricky would often just sit there and listen and then he'd just bring it all together and he just knew exactly what to say at exactly the right time. He kept it really simple, um, very clear, concise messaging uh, and then he backed it up with uh, fantastic standards at training. If the, wicket, if the practice pitches were of very poor quality, um, it didn't bother him. He was still in there and, and he was the first batsman in there to, to train on them. He was t- sending a message to everyone, look, if I can bat on it, then you guys can as well. And uh, you never know, you might get a bad pitch in a, in a match situation. So you've got to sometimes practice where things aren't aren't exactly perfect. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot off Ricky. Uh, he, he was great to bat with out in the middle as well. A very determined uh, guy, but he just scored so quickly as well. And so that took the pressure off the batsman at the other end. Uh, always positive, you know, with his uh, talking and reinforcement and uh, and keeping you going. So, yeah, he, he was a great guy to play with. And he was unlucky not to be the first player to score a T20 International 100 right back in that first game. <laughs> and you played in that match as well. He got 90, 80. It's Kyle Mills with 30 off and over. What are your memories of that match? Uh, well, it was my fault that he didn't get to 100 <laughs> because uh, I, I was facing the la- I faced the second last ball of, the, of our innings. And... I remember thinking, okay, what do I do here? Do I obviously with the second last ball you've got to try and hit it for four or six, don't you? Of a T20 game, yeah. But captain is down the other end on 98, uh, so do I just try and hit a single and get him on strike? And I didn't have a chance to go down and have a quick chat to Ricky about it because the bowler was almost started his run up, and I thought, okay, well, what do I think Ricky would want me to do, and what do I think the team needs me to do here? And I thought, okay, they need me to try and hit a four or a six. 
So I went for the four or six and uh, luckily for me, got it away for a boundary. And so Ricky was stranded on 98 for the last four of the innings. <laughs> Did he say anything to you? No, that, it, no. as we walked off, he said, good, that's what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to try and hit it out of the park. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the team the team always comes first with Ricky. And, and yeah, so it was important to do the right thing by the team. I was nervous about getting picked again, though. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Well, I think you played another 230 games with him, so it turned out all right. <laughs> uh, now, Huss, T20 cricket is all about danger players. So I'm going to get you to name one danger player from each side, starting with the Aussies. Well, it's hard to go past Chris Lynn. Uh, I guess it's been a difficult season for him because he's had a lot of injuries this year. So it's just a case of how much form he's been able to get himself into before this series. So that's a difficult one. But um, no, I'm actually, it's hard to go past Lynn, but I'm actually going to go for David Warner. And the reason why I say that is he'll be stung a little bit that he's had a disappointing one day series, but he'll also be so excited about being captain of a team. Uh, I, I know he, he loves leading teams. He, he's uh, led the uh, Sunrise of Hyderabad in the IPL, done a fantastic job there. He's someone that really thrives on the leadership and, and leads from the front. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's someone that has a, a pretty big series for Australia. And he's a very good, I mean, very good understanding, but he's a wonderfly gifted tactician as a captain as well as now. And I was fortunate enough to be over there and watch him in the year that he guided the Sunrisers to the IPL title. And just the way he communicates with the players, the bowlers, he puts a lot of faith in their plans. And if they don't go right, he sort of has a backup plan uh, to fall back on if, if something does go wrong. Um, and the way he moves the field, he just seems like a, a really good leader of men when he's out there in the middle. Yeah, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Uh, he's an inspirational guy. And, and when he's got his head switched on properly and is motivated and, and uh, wanting to do well, then um, he, nothing gets in his way. So, yeah, as I said, I wouldn't be surprised, particularly after not having the greatest of uh, one-day series, uh, that he comes out and has a blinder. Okay, the Black Caps, Mike, your danger player from New Zealand. Yeah, it's a little bit more difficult to read. Uh, I, w- I would probably say a couple of dangerous players. At, at the top, I'd say Martin Guptill, someone who is a very, very dangerous T20 player. But there's another guy that has just caught my attention a little bit, De Grandholm. Mm. Um, he is an aggressive hitter and a clean hitter of the cricket ball. He doesn't hold back against the spinners. Um, he's happy to take them on and, and belt them over the fielders, even if they're fielding on the boundary. Uh, and I watched him closely in a, in a couple of games, uh, I think it was against Pakistan, where he just destroyed them. Um, and so he's someone that, uh, given the right conditions and the right type of bowling, um, he could be very, very dangerous. So uh, he's someone that may be worth watching as well. And he got picked up by RCB in the IPL auction, so he's got a bit of credit over there in India as well. Yeah, and he can help out with the ball as well. Like he's got some, they're not quick, medium paces, but he's quite smart the way he goes about it and, and bowls a lot of slower balls and uh, quite a skillful player, but he's certainly got some power with the bat. And finally, England. England, yeah. Well, I, I guess my initial, the name that came into my mind was Josh Butler. He's such a dangerous hitter of a cricket ball, which we saw in the ODI in Sydney in, in, especially. But the one that I like the most is uh, um, Abdul Rashid, uh, Adil Rashid, the yep. leg spinner. Um, and it's shown in T20 cricket. Leg spinners in the big bash have done so well, um, as long as you're a good one, I guess. And there's been some very good ones on show. Uh, they've taken, they just have this knack of taking wickets. And I think Rashid would have got a lot of confidence from the one-day series against Australia. And 
Um, he's a smart guy. He played well for the Adelaide Strikers in the Big Bash. Uh, well, it's probably a couple of years ago now. Um, but he's certainly someone that I think could be or is a key member for the England team. All right, Mike. Who takes it out? Who wins? Well, I'm going to go the Aussies. Uh, and, and the reason why I say that is that um, if that batting order gets some confidence, uh, they are going to be unstoppable. There's going to be some massive, massive scores. And so I just hope they go out there with that freedom just to, to really go hard and, and back themselves to uh, just, just to belt the bowling everywhere. And, yeah, if they come off consistently, then I, I don't know if there's another batting order out there that can chase them down. Okay, uh, Mike, the KFC Big Bash League and Rebel Women's Big Bash League seasons have reached the final stage with Perth hosting Hobart and Adelaide hosting the Renegades in the BBL while the Sixers play the Strikers and the Scorchers will face the Thunder in the WBBL. Let's start with the Scorchers and Hurricanes match on Thursday the 1st of February at Optus Stadium. Mike, how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, well, I think it's going to be a very interesting match. Hobart Hurricanes you know, have played some very, very good T20 cricket and they've got some... Uh, some amazing players in there. I, I guess the question mark is how are they going to cope without Darcy Short at the top of the order? Having said that, I think they cope with it very well against the Melbourne Stars, still uh, getting a very, very good score in their last qualifying match, albeit they did go down in that match. So that's interesting. Um, but they've got some some fantastic players uh, in their team, George Bailey and Dan Christian. You've got Joffre Archer with the ball. Um, so, so, you know, that, that, and, and, and I think... The thing in their favour is they're not playing at the Wacker. It's kept new up the stadium, which, look, it's going to be an amazing atmosphere and, and obviously a big Scorchers crowd. But the conditions are different. And it's not as much of a home ground advantage just yet for the Scorchers um, because they might have played a couple of practice games, on, on, but um, they still wouldn't have a great understanding about how, how the pitch is going to play exactly. So that brings Hobart into it a little bit. But having said that, the Scorchers are such a good outfit. Um, they, they, they're so well drilled and they have this knack of finding a way to win. They win those key moments. They've got so much confidence in their own ability and their team at the moment. You'd have to say the Scorchers would be favourites. Uh, just with their home crowd and so much class down the order, uh, down their order is just it's incredible, their list. Um, so you'd have to say as long as they're switched on and, and play close to their best, you'd think they'd get over the line. Um, but you never know. T20 semi-final, Hobart Hurricanes could cause an upset, but it certainly would be an upset. How good has Joffre Archer been? Not only has he been fantastic with the ball, he's got an amazing skills at the back end of, of the innings. I was a tremendous Yorker. He's taken 15 wickets in 10 games. And he got picked up for $1.4 million, the IPL auction. Incredible scenes there. Uh, how impressive have you been with him, Mike? Yeah, he's been excellent. He's an excitement machine. Some of his fielding as well has oh, been yeah. unbelievable. I think back to that catch he took off Ben Cutting up at the Gabba, where he absolutely smashed it back, stuck out the one hand. It's one of the best catches I've seen all summer. Uh, but yeah, he's been brilliant. And um, yeah, and, and I guess a, a few IPL teams thought the same, <laughs> bidding away for him uh, there. Uh, Ashton Turner has been fantastic. A real coming of age season for him with the Scorchers. He didn't get picked for the Australian T20 side because of his. He's injured shoulder, uh, but he's just been he's been in that engine room of the Scorchers middle order and just uh, yeah, been incredible this summer. Yeah, and you can't underestimate how difficult a role that is to come in and play. It's not easy to come out and just smash the ball out of the park from literally your first or second ball at your face. And he's done it on a consistent basis. So um, 
No, it's because of his shoulder that he wasn't picked for Australia. But I, I still think he deserves to be picked. They can always just him in the ring and, and field him in the ring. There's enough other good fielders around um, to, to get out in the deep. Plus, he's such a good runner between the wickets as well, which I think, again, is really underrated in T20 cricket. Uh, he reads the game well. He's a smart player. And uh, he, he's been absolutely incredible for the scorchers and, and, and a huge reason why they're back up the top again. Maybe one of the reasons, you know, Chris Lynn... Is carrying his own shoulder injury. He, can't, he sort of has to be hidden in the field a little bit. Maybe if they had Turner in the same 11, that's two fielders. Maybe that's one too many. Perhaps that's what they were thinking, Mike. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. But I still think you want your best players in there. And, and, and look, you can't really argue with the team they've picked. It's, it's a pretty amazing batting order. But, but I, I, I'm certain we'll see Ashton Turner in Australian colours uh, in the not too distant future. Uh, Mike, because uh, you, you did it so well with the T20 teams, the international teams, can you give us a, a player to watch out for in this first semi-final? Oh, okay, a player to watch out for. Um, uh, well, it's hard not to go past. Uh, okay, I'm going to throw in Sean Marsh as the one to watch out for. He's been an incredible T20 player for for a long, long time, um, and he's rested up now from a break um, with, from the Ashes series. So as long as he's got some pretty decent training in, um, I think he could be a real match winner uh, for, for the Scorchers at the top of the order. And throwing Mitchell Johnson there as well. How good's he going to be? He had a great... What about his final last year? I mean, he, he rises for the big occasions, Mitch Johnson. Oh, he's been amazing. Absolutely amazing. But still bowling good pace, swinging the brand new ball. I think Adam Voges as captain uses him really well, just at the right times. Um, and the good thing about Mitchell Johnson, because he swings that new ball at good pace, he picks up early wickets. Batting teams are looking to go really hard in that first six overs uh, to get away in that batting power play. And um, it's not easy to hit someone bowling over 140 k's an hour who's swinging the ball. And, and Mitch Johnson's got good control and good experience. And, uh, yeah, he's been uh, a fantastic performer for the Scorchers. All right. Who are you tipping? Oh, I think the Scorchers will win. Yeah, yep. uh, it could be tough. I think the Scorchers have got to be favourites. Okay. Second semi-final, strikers are going to face off against the Melbourne Renegades. Uh, international selection has hurt both these rosters, Mike, but it's going to be terrific. It's going to be a terrific contest, nonetheless. Yeah, this one I think is a lot harder to pick. Personally, I think, and, and you've, you've got to balance up the hometown crowd in Adelaide. I'm sure it's going to be absolutely packed and pumping. Get right behind the uh, Adelaide strikers, but they've just lost a few key players um, for this semi-final, so. So losing Alex Carey is a big one. Billy Stanlake's another big loss out of that sort of team as well. So how much effect will that have? They're, they're lucky that they've still got Rashid Khan for the semi-final, and that's a that's a big plus because he's been amazing all, all tournament. Uh, he's really cleaned up. Um, so so that's a big plus. But if they get through to the final, then I believe that he won't be available for the final. So, that's right. Uh, there's some there's some big holes there um, that they need to fill the Adelaide Strikers, and, and I personally think. That, that brings the Renegades right into this contest. Uh, Cameron White will come back from international duty into that team, who will be very much needed because, um, you know, certainly without Aaron Finch they, and, and Cameron White out of the team, they've looked a little bit weaker. Um, but getting him back will be a big plus. And, and I actually think the Renegades can win this because I, I just worry how disruptive uh, losing, the, the strikers team will be losing those key players, losing Stan Lake. Um, and losing uh, Alex Carey, um, they're going to have to find two, yeah, two unbelievably good performers to come in and fill that breach. So 
I'm actually tipping the Renegades to maybe just get over the line here in a bit of an upset. Ooh, they've got no Travis Head too, don't they, Mike? So you're going to hit with his way for the one-day series, but came back and played one game. So losing their captain is also another big blow for them. Uh, but one player that's performed very well for them is Peter Siddle in his first year for the Strikers. He's only taken the eight wickets, but his economy rate of 5.83, Mike, is the best in the tournament by a fast bowler. Uh, how good, you know, I guess he's been pigeonholed as a first-class red ball bowler, but he's just shown he can still play the T20 game. Yeah, no, he's been brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I think his experience has really helped around the Adelaide Strikers group as well. I know that he's um, worked hard with Ben Lachlan uh, on certain variations and, and time to bowl certain variations and which balls to bowl. So uh, it's good to see that they're working together to try and get better. And, and it's good for Peter Siddle at this stage of his career, still thinking that he can get better and improve as a player. Um, he he um, probably was a, hasn't really played much T20 cricket up to this point and, and he's been outstanding really outstanding for the uh, strikers And but now I guess there's a little bit more pressure and a little bit more focus goes on to him because of the loss of, uh, of, of Billy Stanlake in that team so um, yeah I, I think good on him because he's a great person and a great bloke and, and he's been a great bowler for Australia over many years and you touched on it before but Rashid Khan Mike what a season he's had 17 wickets most of the in the big bash, uh, he spins it both ways. So deceptive with his wrong end. And you're right, he's going to be um, he's going to be unavailable for the final should the strikers win this game and progress through. But even still, just to be able to watch him bowl this summer has been a treat for all the fans. <laughs> it's been a treat for us to watch him. I wouldn't like to be at the other end having to try and face <laughs> him. <laughs> that that would be an absolute nightmare. And I actually had a quick chat to Cameron White uh, at the ODI in Perth, and he said, "Yep." He's up there with one of the hardest bowlers he's faced. It goes back to when we had to face Narayan and Ajmal at their best um, and how hard they were to face. He goes, this guy's right up there with those guys. So that just goes to show you how good he is and how hard he is to face and how important he's been for the strikers. Um, he's been amazing. His energy has been, uh, uh, in, you know, it's been um, invigorating, I think, for all their players and their fans have got right behind him. I'm sure he's really enjoyed the big bash as well. And Cameron White, uh, he comes back in for Aaron Finch. He's averaging 100 in the Big Bash this summer, Mike. Uh, but is there going to be even more pressure on him now that with no Finch there and he's the senior player, he's going to have to come in there and score a lot of runs at the top of the order? Well, there's always pressure on everyone, particularly when you come into the big games like the semi-finals. Uh, so, yeah, well, it's good for him that he's coming in form, coming into the match, playing well. He's had a very, very good tournament. Um, he knows his game so well. And, and there's probably not a a situation in a T20 game that he hasn't faced before. So that's going to be important as well, um, particularly in the semi-final where there is that extra pressure and uh, the cutthroat nature of the game. All right, who's your player to watch in this match? Well, the one you always want to watch is Rashid Khan. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this could be the pivotal... His four overs could be the pivotal sort of point in the match. I know that teams in team meetings start talking about this guy and sort of say, OK, well... Let's just try and give him no wickets. Even if we just take him for 20, 25 or 30, then that's a massive win for us. Let's just get him no, no, a zero in the wickets column. That, that's the important thing. And So it'll be interesting to see how the Renegades play him, if they look to try and dominate him, take a bit more risk, or they just look to just almost play him out and try and get the runs off the other guys. Um, but that could be the pivotal matchup in the whole contest. How many wickets Rashid Khan is able to get in this contest... Uh, yeah, it could be the difference between a win and a loss for the strikers. 
in the WBBL might the top two teams, the Sixers and the Thunder. They have to play their semi-finals uh, away from home uh, at the at the home of their opponents. Actually, uh, but you know, I think the Sydney themes with with ten wins out of fourteen games are still going to get the job done. Mike, what do you think? Uh, broadly speaking, about the two semi-finals, which way you're leaning? Yeah, I'm leaning towards the two Sydney teams. They've been pretty consistent all year. Uh, the Scorchers is the one team I'm a little uh, tempted to. Could they could they uh, cause an upset? They've got some good players there. Elise Villani is, is a very dynamic player at the top of the order. Plus, they'll be playing at the Optus Stadium. Now, it's it's not their home ground because they wouldn't have played many games there at all. But I'm sure the the crowd will be building up early in the day and they'll get right behind the Scorchers. Um, but no, I, I think there's enough class in the two Sydney teams to get the job done. And of course, you'll be going for the Thunder, won't you, Mike? Two two titles in three years. That's very impressive if they can pull that off. Uh, well, it's still a long way to go yet, mate. There's still, you know, you've got to win two out of the next two. But uh, no, they're, they're a, a, a great bunch of girls. Uh, well-led um, and, and well-coached too. So, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Well, obviously, I'm hoping they go through all the way. They've played some very, very good, consistent cricket this season. And, um, yeah, they've, they've been great to have around, even, even around the guys. They're, they're a great bunch of girls. Mike, we're going to finish our final show together with a game, your favourite game, called Play It or Leave It. We've got five for you today. Um, how, how are you seeing them? Are you all right? Oh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like I've been in pretty good touch most of the summer. All right. <laughs> Let's see how we go. Okay. Uh, now, I think you might have intimated this earlier, but Australia to hit the most sixes in the T20 Tri-Series. Oh, I'm playing at that, without <laughs> doubt. I'm I'm swinging for a six there um, uh, from my side as well. Yeah, I, I think we've got a very dynamic batting order there. I think England could come close, um, but yeah, Australia's just got too much power. I, I'd, I'd expect them to hit the most sixes. Do you reckon there might even be more sixes than fours in this side? <laughs> well, possibly at Eden Park. Yeah. Uh, that that is that is for sure. It being such a small ground, um, yeah, that's a pretty good call. And we don't see too many of them, but more than two centuries scored in this series, in the Tri-Series. Ooh, more than two centuries. Mm. Mm, this is an interesting one, isn't it? I, I'm going to let that go, but I'm, sort of, I'm coming down to play it, and then I'm going to let it go. I, I think there might be two centuries, but not more than two. Yep. I just think the way the modern game's going, and we are seeing a few more centuries, uh, and in good conditions, then um, players... Yeah, players can really, or batsmen can really dominate. So I'm, I'm, I'm tipping two, but no more than two. No more than two. One over, and this happened with Ricky Ponting, uh, 2005, but one over to go for at least 30 runs. That's a lot of runs. Yeah, that's a lot of runs. I'm going to play at this, though. Yeah. I think there will be one over that goes for 30. Um. Yeah, and again, that Eden Park game is the one that I'm sort of thinking. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a tough place to defend, and if a bowler just misses what he's trying to execute, then he could go. So, uh, And the thing is, if you get hit in your first couple of balls of the over, um, you start to get more nervous and more tight and, and get uh, less chance of, of executing the perfect Yorker or something like that. So I think, and with enough batting strength around in the three teams, I think there could possibly be, yeah, one over that goes for 30 or more. 36? Yeah? No, I'm no. not going that far. I even think 30 is a stretch. I'm thinking maybe 28, but 
you never know. I, I, I'm happy to play gently at this one. Okay. Uh, now we're going to see, we will see a super over finish. Oh, I'd love to see a super over finish. <laughs> I tell you what, I've been surprised there hasn't been a super over in the uh, Big Bash. There's yeah. been so many close games mm. that have gone right down to the last ball, but we haven't seen a super over. So I, I'm actually going to think that cone's going to continue in the international series. And no, I'm going to let that one go. No super overs. Um, again, no, I'd love to see one. Yeah, what is the final? Do it in the final. <laughs> That would be a great climax, wouldn't it? It certainly would. Okay, and finally, Mike, every captain who wins the toss will bowl first. Yeah, I'm playing at this. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, seem, it seems like the trend these days. Everyone likes to uh, chase. Um, we've seen a lot in the IPL. I guess it just takes out one of the variables. And coming into a game and, and you're thinking, okay, well, what's a good score? And, and sometimes you're just not 100% sure. So why not just throw the opposition in see what they get, and then you can play accordingly. If, if they only make, you know, 120 or something, then you can just take your time and, and knock the runs off gently. If they make, yeah, well over 200, then obviously you, you know you've got to go pretty hard right from the start. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think scoreboard pressure seems to bother the, the modern-day player, like it did certainly when I was playing, um, where, yeah, you could build up the pressure on the opposition if you had the runs on the board. It's probably more relevant in 50-over cricket, but I always think if you bat first... You give yourself two ways to win the game. You can either bowl the team out in the second innings or restrict them, not let them get to the target. But I guess when you're chasing a target, it's so clear. You've, you know, There's only one way to do it. You've got to get the run. So maybe that frees up the mind a little bit more. I'm not sure. Yeah, you know what you've got to do. And I guess there's a few field restrictions nowadays as well, which makes it difficult for teams to defend a total. But no, you're right. Certainly when I was growing up, uh, I was taught nine times out of ten, you win the toss and you bat first. On the 10th time, you, you think about bowling and then you bat first as well. <laughs> <laughs> Not these days. But these days, yeah, well, yeah, everyone seems to want to bowl first. Uh, dew plays a bit of a factor as well. If there's dew in the night time, um, that can be really hard for the bowlers to hang onto the ball. And, and also, from a batting point of view, it just sticks onto the bat beautifully and, uh, and makes it very, very hard for the bowlers. So, yeah, I used to, well, certainly when I was playing for the Thunder in that last year, was always checking the uh, the Bureau to see if there's going to be any dew on the uh, on the outfield as well. All right, Mike, that's it. That's it. The series is done. The summer's done for you. It's all over. It's it's come to a, a crashing halt. Um, have you enjoyed your time? That's the most important question. No, We've enjoyed you. Fantastic summer. <laughs> no, it's been a wonderful summer. It really has. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed all the cricket. The Ashes has been amazing. The one-day series, uh, unfortunately, the result didn't go Australia's way, but we've seen some really good cricket. And now I'm looking forward to the T20. So uh, going to need a little bit of a rest after this summer, much like Steve Smith and David Warner probably are, but uh, there's not much rest for them because they're off to South Africa for what I'm really looking forward to uh, as well. I think that's going to be an unbelievable test series against uh, the pro tiers. And you're going to India to work as a batting coach for the Chennai Super Kings. Yes, I am. Can't wait for, for April. Um, yeah, joining up this. Chennai Super Kings, a team that I played with for most of my IPL career. So uh, looking forward to catching up with old friends. And also, I just really want to try and develop um, and improve as many players as I possibly can, particularly, obviously, the batsmen. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to the challenge. It should be great fun. Well, Mike, a big thank you for your expert analysis throughout the entire summer. Really appreciated having you on board. And hopefully, maybe some down, somewhere down the line, we'll get you back on and uh, we can do it again. 
Sounds good, Sam. And good job too, mate. I think you've been a wonderful host. Uh, so, yeah, I think maybe a current affair or, uh, or today, tonight or something like that, that, that's your next step up the rung, I reckon. Oh, no, certainly not on camera. Okay. <laughs> better, better behind it, Mike. Uh, well, that's it for this week's episode. Mike won't be back, but we will be back next week to wrap up the Big Bash final and throw ahead for the Shield game and then the Tour of South Africa. So, for all your cricket news scores and video, stay logged on to cricket.com.au. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.